follow one's own opinions or views or theories or uh, ambitions. And that's to be trainable. So that uh, for for us bhikkhus, then, as you can see, this is a whole way of living. And just to live in a way that doesn't agree with one's personal views is <coughs> helpful in developing the factors of enlightenment, developing those uh, qualities of renunciation, of letting go, of dispassion, and of willingness. Because it takes a kind of effort, doesn't it? And though we can apply effort to anything we want to do, it may, it may not be very important either. We can apply effort to, to playing games, or to, to going to places, or to chatting, or to enjoying ourselves, which uh, are extremely significant, and yet one can apply a great degree of effort, energy, concentration towards doing those things. This is what most people do. But to apply effort towards, say, say to uh, doing Pali chant, you can almost feel, at least I could when I began, this negative voice in your mind. What's the point of this? I don't understand. Why do I bother to do this anyway? I want to go and meditate. <laughs> Just to do something that didn't, didn't have any point in it for me. One small thing. You can you can see uh, how that just to do that brings up a kind of resistance. Because that resistance, one uh, feels uh, uh, awkward, insecure, doubtful, all this kind of negative, vague um, qualities of our karma. Because these are qualities of our karma, not of our mind. That is qualities of the kind of conditioning process that has. Uh, created our habits and personality and opinions. Now, meditation, Dharma practice, is about creating a framework in which we can watch our personality habits and opinions and start to understand that this is not what we are. Now, to do that, therefore, involves a kind of friction. The friction... Um, <coughs> Uh, meditation, or the refriction of, of keeping precepts, or the, you know, perhaps five precepts don't really involve a, a great deal of friction, but it's surprising how much friction is involved in learning how to request them. <laughs> or chant them. <laughs> Some people are very uh, resistant to any kind of traditional thing. It doesn't make sense, whatever sense is supposed to be. It's not important. Now, one who can witness the friction within themselves and not give it a second thought, one who can witness the friction within themselves and understand that that is a point of practice, that is something to meditate on, that is a sign of the seeds of awakening. You know. That is, there is a conflict between a personal viewpoint and something larger than that, that's harmless, that well-meaning and it forces you to reflect now what is the the uh, uh, say the point of a tradition of meeting that's another conventional thing is in traditions when we come meet together group practice at a certain time or do an evening chanting at a certain time what is the point of it 
that evening chanting many, many evenings. What's the point of it? Is there any point I've reflected on this stuff? What's the point of it now? The point of it, in a way, is to, is to witness that kind of friction. To have something that uh, detaches you from your personal drives. Now, when negativity arises, friction arises, and this is the essence of the first noble truth, isn't it? The friction, tension, stress, which we call pain, displeasure, discomfort, disagreement, discontent, anguish, strife, stress, whatever you like to call it, dukkha. meditator essentially has that saving parameter, that saving grace that saving perfection is that instead of running away from that, avoiding it, looking the other way, ignoring, being ignorant they at least investigate they at least start to reflect and understand where the friction lies where it begins, where it ends and how it's dealt with that in a nutshell is the essence of the Four Noble Truths and as we understand this is a path in the mind now when you understand where it is you're a long way towards understanding what to do about friction, tension, stress, dukkha when it arises in the small, in the minute in the large whether it's uh, death, pain, anguish, sorrow or whether it's just a uh, the kind of niggling, nagging discontent of things not being quite right this person letting you down being a bit late for that a bit disappointed in that slightly unhappy here a little bit bored, vague, half-hearted it's the understanding of the quality of negativity and where it really lies so you try inwards Now keep taking the precepts, keeping the precepts essentially then inclines you inwards, doesn't it? Because it's a way in which we say that uh, our actions in the world are limited and to limit actions in the world, to restrain yourself in the world in a way it creates an impossible condition. To be at peace in an unpeaceful world, to find truth or harmony out of discontent and chaos, out of not knowing, out of confusion, out of sleepiness, anger, dullness, pain. deluded mind they will always strike out against those qualities those facts whenever they happen we'll blame other people blame ourselves wallow in depression negativity or despair or distract ourselves indulge in something run away think about something else and now the quality of the precept is bringing up an ability or an emphasis on witnessing 
rather than acting upon impulses. And you witness friction, you witness discontent. Now the witnessing of it is the uh, is all that is required in Buddhist practice. You think we'll witness it and then find out something, a way of dealing with it. But actually the way of dealing with it is just in finding a position, an understanding, where it is and how you can witness. Clearly, that is just witness, rather than witness and respond, witness and, and create some opinion, witness and react, and we're just clearly seeing. Uh, mostly we do too much, don't we? When you feel uh, angry, irritated, we're aware and then we either repress the anger or we indulge in it. That is, we try to justify, lose our temper, act upon it find out reasons why we should be like this. But witnessing involves or we're ashamed of ourselves, feel guilty. And witnessing is just a matter of seeing that, doing nothing more. So there's this quality of, of restraint, emotional restraint. Of letting things be, letting things end, knowing where things are in the mind and letting it end in the mind. The quality of the precepts. Now we reflect, if you like, the precepts are a kind of uh, a sign of the training and the refuges are, re- are where we reflect from. Buddha Dhamma Sangha, you start to consider when you look into the mind, look into your life, think well, what is important, what is necessary to do. What is the most important thing to do? If we just find out what that is and then let things follow that. Now what are the most important things to do are we we try to find happiness. Fine. We try to find something that will uh, keep us free from discontent. Now the experience it shows us that uh, when happiness is just appears to be something that I'm getting at the expense of other things or the kind of happiness that uh, uh, like of a selfish nature isn't satisfactory it tends to we feel makes us feel isolated it tends to pass away and end it's something we have to protect guard And because of the quality of, of always trying to protect or defend your happiness or get it, because we think that if we don't struggle and get happiness, it won't come to us. If we don't pursue it, we won't find it. Then the happiness has got a lot of fear behind it. And we become rather frightened, alienated beings. Which is, and the generosity of the mind is not allowed to come forth. Because the mind is essentially a radiant being. It tends to, when it's allowed to be, it is naturally radiant and clear and wise and loving. It's not something you have to create, but just we we cease to create the delusions that prevent that natural mind being. So there's a lot of fear, isn't there? A lot of uh, thinking, well, uh, uh, 
I have to be somebody or, or improve myself or, or protect some kind of image of myself so I don't get caught up in, in, uh, in other people's criticism or blame protect myself against the world right? the blame of it, the, the shame of it the, the losing aspects and in meditation we're learning how uh, to let go to, to, to lose if you like to, to witness the negative, the things that emotionally we, we're expected to or, or conceive that we should run away from, that we should feel that are death to our, to our pride, to our ego, to our inflated opinions. So we witness, or we, we recognize, we accept our negativity in whatever aspect it takes. The hindrances, the five hindrances of craving, sense craving of one kind or another, Anger, irritation, restlessness, doubt, and worry. We uh, accept those. Now that to to recognise these within oneself, as you as you do in your meditation, as they come up in your meditation practice, is in itself a kind of where, where the suffering is is in is the in the deflation of the ego because one can only build one's ego out of, out of things that one feels one approves of. No one wants to, to create themselves as being some kind of angry, restless, craving, doubtful, worried person. Unless <laughs> uh, social images have changed. Now we want to be happy, generous, wise, peaceful, Respected, loving kind of person. So the the recognition of these hindrances is a is a is a letting go of our of our, of our pretensions, of our ego. And in that you find a, a great peace. I remember somebody, uh, a Buddhist friend of mine, telling me that he. Uh, he used to go to, to work every day and he'd have a photograph of Ajahn Chah in front of his car. And he'd pull up at this particular service station and ask for some petrol. And there'd always be this, this skinhead youth who'd come over and look into his window and, and make funny comments about this, this monk, Jira, this photograph of this monk, Jira, and he had a little Buddha roof and he, he'd make comments about that and jeer at that and make fun of it. Until uh, um, one day, uh, he said, "Well, what do you?" He asked the, the driver. He said, "What do you do all this for? What's in it for? What's in it for you?" And uh, and the uh, the Buddhist, uh, rather fearlessly actually, with a great deal of, uh, of humility, said, "Well, I used to be really terribly, I used to be really frightened of myself, really depressed and lonely. I didn't know what I was doing." I always had to go out and prove myself in front of other people. This was driving me crazy. Just trying to pretend to be always be happy and gay and successful and bright and positive and with it. And I got so terribly depressed I couldn't hardly sleep at night. And then uh, I found this kind of teaching which allowed you to 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 accept that about yourself. And uh, and you found out a 
and the man who was serving this very kind of aggressive skinhead said, you mean you feel like that too? You get those kind of feelings too? Because that's what, that's in fact where we all meet. <laughs> and yet it's very rare for people to allow their masks to, to drop and to accept the fact that they not, don't feel confident, gay, bright, progressive, positive, joyous all the time, or even a lot of the time they feel frightened and lonely and they wonder and they worry and they're frightened of dying, they don't want to get sick and they're worried about having wrinkles or and yet of course one tries to we meditate, we try to um, imagine or create ourselves as being dispassionate or detached beings. I'm now detached. I'm now a dispassionate detached being. My no self is is really bigger or as good as yours anyway <laughs> so this kind of attachment to a theory of non-attachment is, a, is another kind of ego trip that uh, we get into so for a Buddhist essentially the you know, we talk about non-attachment and positive qualities the very negativity of a lot of the Buddhist terms is it's, uh, it's negative in terminology but it's positive in its effect because it creates a standard not of being happy or bright or gay or witty or charming or pretty but someone who can be moral and reflect upon their own problems and weaknesses and that's something we can all do when we start to recognise that what we have in common where we all meet is, is in that much in that we all suffer then this is, terribly, this is tremendously calming not to have to drag yourself out of that, not to have to shove that away. It's, it's very calming, it's harmonising, it's compassionate. And so we find we can meet and be together, and this sense of uh, relationship with each other as human beings goes a long way towards stilling the hunger and the loneliness and the craving and despair that sets in mind so much of our delusion, that keeps the wheel rolling. That is, it's our, our ambition to, to be something positive that keeps us uh, creating negative fears and repressions and aversions and shame and barriers between ourselves. This uh, process of alienation is, uh, is uh, um, using a bit of, I think, <coughs> psychoanalytical jargon alienation, you can reflect on that as a, an aspect of the first noble truth that if we feel terribly uh, divorced from our experiences, divorced from our lives don't know what's going to happen we feel estranged from our bodies we're hardly connected to it most of the time we don't understand our emotions we can't control our thoughts we don't know what's going to happen to us or to the world and we have to continually entertain, amuse ourselves and find ways in which we can actually relate to each other people now have to find teachings and training to actually be able to relate to each other you can go to courses where you learn how to relate have meaningful relationships and yet it's very easy to relate all you have to do is learn how to relate to yourself 
what do you alienate in yourself? What we alienate is our own sense of alienation, our sense of suffering. It's something that we reject, turn away from time and time and time and time again. And that creates it into an enormous burden of bogeyman that frightens you. Suffering, problems, weaknesses, spectres that haunt us. In your meditation, you oh no, it comes, here it comes again. Go into a state of despair and allow ourselves to get washed away. Now mindfulness, the uh, epitome of the Buddhist path, is uh, a way in which alienation is is uh, resolved. Because we have a refuge, we have something that accepts us, accepts our weaknesses, accepts our flaws, accepts our suffering. We've got a conventional form that allows, that gives us something to be, something where we can find calm, we can find self-respect, we can find community, we can find these things that uh, that uh, help us, that support us. And then we can practice mindfulness. Mindfulness. Filling the mind. Opening the mind. Making the mind whole. Instead of a mass of contradictory fragments that contend and fight with each other. And mindfulness is uh, not just a matter of of recognizing or just of of noting in some uh, conceptual way. And now we meditate and do this and do that. Mindfulness is 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 like a continual understanding, realization of the mind. That is of who, if you like, of our impulse of what we're trying to be mindful of, or what we think we're being mindful of. Where do we direct our attention? When do we, how do we conceive being mindful? It's to understand these qualities also, these factors. They're essential uh, um, looking for something, expecting something. The attitudes, in fact, that go into our uh, practice of attention. Because mindfulness is more than just attention, that's concentration. Mindfulness is awareness of the quality, the temperament, and the movement of attention, of what we consider to be important, of how we confuse, say, concentration with mindfulness. Well, doesn't that give you a sign just how, how uh, um, we misunderstand? We don't want our mind to be full of lack of concentration or full of objects that we don't wish to be one pointed on concentration is uh, is something that's very desire oriented that is uh, concentrating on something that we find pleasant or we approve of mindfulness is choiceless there's mindfulness of of, uh, of dullness of mental states as they change mindfulness is the quality whereby one perceives the characteristics of change, unsatisfactoriness, and not self. So it's a tremendously giving kind of practice. 
rather than because to to find is to find something that you identify with, some kind of self, some object that gratifies our identifying instincts, our clean instincts. Mindfulness is a is a right mindfulness is a is a, a turning away from that, going beyond that, from what we choose to be. Mindfulness is the same. It's no longer we no longer make choices about the kind of birth predicament that we're in, the birth of, of desire, the birth of sorrow, the birth of happiness, the birth of foolishness. It's this kind of attitude of uh, choiceless awareness. Now that is a, uh, an emotional quality. It comes from giving. Here tonight we we chant the blessings. It's a giving. The meditation tonight was a giving uh, to give blessings to spread well-being to all beings in this room, past, present, future, all the beings outside this room, to sounds in the street, people uh, out on the town in the evening, buses going by. giving to those, blessing those too. Because to give, when you give, you emphasize the fullness of the mind. Now if we can, if we're aware of this present moment with all the, say, the sounds or the things that we disagree or find don't, don't exist in accordance with our wishes, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of giving and mindfulness and choicelessness. And the mind feels very full, very whole, very much at ease, even within the the uh, changing and contending sounds and impressions that you can experience. There's no centre to it, no selfhood in it. But the mind feels filled. We come from a sense of fullness. We realise a sense of fullness. We realise the mind itself rather than our, our limited opinions and views of the mind. Now, as Buddhists, you, we reflect on the sila, morality, bhavana, the mind training, giving, generosity. They all tend to all amount to to mind training, training oneself. Now, the blessings that have been chanted this evening are, of course, just something to reflect on, to remember. Uh, to uh, to regard as an auspicious sign, something to label as a, as an essential keynote to your practice, because as as lay people, you can't expect say to get a lot of the of calm, a lot of concentration, a lot of absorption into some particular refinement or state. But you can you can arrive at the peace that comes from compassion and giving, because the result and the way that we live is to is to live with each other, to live in the world. We're making these choices. 
having made this kind of choice, the way that we live, then you can find the kind of practice that, that makes that whole, that is mindful within that situation. And it's not mindful within the situation of being a late person or a busy person to go looking for uh, calm and tranquility. It will always create situations in which you're finding conflict in the world, you're running away from things, you're shutting things out. When you find a great calm and a tremendous amount of understanding from just learning how to deal with the sense of thinking that you're not good enough, feeling inadequate, feeling the situation is something you can't be mindful of, can't be mindful within, and giving to it, then you find fullness of mind, fullness of heart. And this is a tremendous blessing for your practice. As you begin to realize just how much you can give just by being. So this evening is is, um, talk which occurs occurs to me, it's all news to me too (laughs) is uh, offered uh, for your reflection and very much in the spirit of the occasion. And Mayamu Vadagata Sadhukaram Tatamase Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu